0: Well, good morning. Let's, uh, before we open up, we're going to open up with prayer. Uh, before we do that, um, we're going to introduce, introduce kind of what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at a very familiar passage. We're going to look at a story between David and Goliath. I know a lot of times we've heard the story since we were little kids with little felt boards and all that. And it's a wonderful story and a passage here, but there's some amazing truths um, I believe the Lord wants to show us today about uh, for, our, for each of us. and some things that hopefully we can kind of glean from this this morning that maybe we haven't seen in the past or maybe we can be reminded of this morning. And so before we do that, if you have your Bibles, we're going to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 17. And uh, if you would, in honor of reading God's word, you, if you're able to, would you please stand? we'll read uh, verses 1 through 24. In verse 1, it says, Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Soca in Judah. They pitched camp at Ephes-Demim between Soca and Azekah." Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and Israelites another with a valley between them. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. He was over nine feet tall. He had a bronze helmet on his head and he wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear or shaft was like a weaver's rod. And its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he's able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, This day I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistine's words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Now David was a son of an Ephrathite named Jesse, who was from Bethlehem in Judah. Jesse had eight sons, and in Saul's time he was old and well-advanced in years. Jesse's three oldest sons had followed Saul to the war. The firstborn was Eliab, the second Abinadab, the third Shammah. David was the youngest. The three oldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For forty days the Philistine came forward, every morning and evening, and took his stand. Now Jesse said to his son David, Take this ephah of roasted grain and these ten loaves of bread for your brothers, and hurry to their camp. Take along these ten cheeses for the commander of their unit, and see how your brothers are, and bring back some assurance from them. There was Saul and all the men of Israel in the valley of Elah, fighting against the Philistines. Early in the morning David left the flock with the shepherd, loaded up and set out as Jesse had directed. He reached the camp, and as the army was going out to its battle positions, shouting the war cry, Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines facing each other. David left his things with the keeper, supplies, ran to the battle lines, and greeted his brothers. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance. And David heard it. When the Israelites saw the man, they all ran from him in great fear. You may be seated. Thank you. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this day, Lord, and Lord, as we open your word, Father God, as always, our plea and our desire is that your word would open our hearts and that we'd hear from you and that, Lord, as you speak to us, Father God, you'd find our hearts fertile ground to receive your word and to walk on obedience to things you want to show to us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What we're going to look at in this passage here is, hopefully we're going to do, by way of contrast, we're going to compare David and Goliath, Goliath being uh, the enemy's champion and David being God's champion. As we wrap up the end here, just in real summary fashion, we're going to also look at the people's king in Saul. And we're going to look at God's king in David and how David handled the situation. It's an amazing uh, uh, interchange here that we see. And we're going to look at some characteristics to begin with of the enemy's champion. And then we'll do that and we'll follow that up with the characteristics of God's champion. As we lay these side by side, hopefully we can kind of see some things here from the scriptures that God can use in our lives as we deal with our own issues in our own time. We're going to look at, there's four things that we see right away from the enemy here. And there's probably more than this, but I just kind of narrowed it down to four and looking at Goliath. And I call him the enemy's champion. I wrote these four things down. In verse 4 through 7, you can see that he's huge. He's loud. He's arrogant. And he's defiant, particularly against God and God's people. And I wrote, you know, isn't it interesting that the people, when they ask for a king a few chapters before this, give us a king like all the other nations around us. Because they rejected God as their king. And who did God give them? Remember when Saul was anointed king by Samuel, God told Samuel who to anoint And when he chose Saul, he chose the exact person that the people would have chosen. When Saul was chosen, it wasn't that God said, here's the best man for the job. It wasn't that at all. He was choosing a guy that the people would have chosen because the Bible says that Saul was head and shoulders above anyone else in Israel. He was a tall, he was a big, warrior-type looking king. Looked the part. But he didn't have the character to match the assignment. But that's who the people would have chosen, so God gave them what they wanted. Which sometimes, by the way, is the worst thing that God can do to us is give us what we want instead of what we need. I love how God uses this, this picture here of this scene, as God began to promote his man. And we'll look at that in just a moment. But I thought interesting, 1 Samuel 8:5, look how it says this. When the people came to Samuel, if you turn to the left here, chapter 8 and verse 5, this is when they kind of basically rejected God as their leader, as their king. And they said this. They said to him, talking to Samuel, You are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. You know interesting? They got the very thing they asked for. They thought this is the thing that was going to help them be safe in situations like this. You know what the enemy does? He sent them a, jam- a champion from the other side, far bigger than Saul, far stronger, far more powerful. So this king that they thought, if they just had a king like that, that would get them through any difficult situation, that could just be like everybody else, they'd be all right. Well, it didn't work out that way. And God's going to show this in a very dramatic way in this scene. He does that many other times, but in this particular scene, he shows that very clearly. But by the way, it did make them more like the other nations. They did have a king like the other nations. But the problem was they were never supposed to be like the other nations. And God's going to show that when you, when you see this picture of Saul, and this is the situation how he responds, and you see how David responds. You're going to see how God, what God intended all along. So, the first thing, the enemy is huge. Let's look at it first a second. Verse 4 through 7, let's uh, read that again real quick. Verses 4 through 7, let's see how the, the Bible describes this giant. Verse 4 says, a champion from Gath, a champion named Goliath, from, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. He was over nine feet tall. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs were bronze greaves, basically like shin guards, and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod, and its iron point weighed six hundred shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. Say what, if you guys will bear with me, I'm gonna do something here. I have a volunteer who coming come up. Spencer, you come up here for a second. I'm gonna ask you help. Spencer would be about the age that David was at this time. Probably about actually, are you eighteen, Spencer? You might be about two years older than David was, but Spencer's probably about the same size that the David would have been. Okay, we're going to look at that in a second. But look at this. I'm going to show you how big Goliath was. Now, y'all, how many, if y'all start taking bets on me falling, I'm going to start getting upset. and That's a good chance. Don't do, I'm a professional. Don't try this at home. All right. Now, here's the thing. I'm still six inches shorter than Goliath would have been. I'm not getting on that top step, so i have just got to deal with that. But I'm still six inches shorter than Goliath was. And Spencer's probably a little bit taller and older than David was. Now, is that overwhelming or what? That's insane. Sometimes we think of this picture on the little felt board or in the picture drawing. What do you think? Now, Goliath would have been a lot uglier than me. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But he would have been, a, Goliath would have been a warrior, unlike me. He could have actually done something to hurt somebody. I would just hurt myself. But Goliath would have been a lot bigger than this. He had been huge. His armor, by the way, probably weighed just the scale armor that would have wore, like a jacket, weighed 125 pounds, which probably was, was what David weighed. Thank you, Spencer. You can head him out. Thank you. And so I want to get off where I fall. And uh, yeah. Thank you, Spencer. Oh, by the way, Spencer, i gotta, I got I to gotta rat you out. Did I do that? We'll get that later. Uh, sorry. I, I asked Spencer to help me this morning. He goes, do I get a slingshot? <laughs> I don't think so. I really don't know how to take that. But uh, anyway, it's a man. Go try to take me out for good. But Anyway, his armor would have weighed about 125 pounds. His spear had this tip that weighed 15 pounds. This guy was enormous. Can you imagine just the terrifying sight of seeing that? Here's their champion. They send out this champion. And they're like, okay, who they got? And they see this guy coming out. And like, wow, no wonder they all ran. They were terrified of this guy. In fact, he was so big. And he, was, he had this shield. I don't know if you saw it in the past. But he has this shield bearer who would run out in front of him. And what this guy would do is, is the shield was probably the size of the man carrying it. And he would go out in front of Goliath to protect him from the enemy trying to throw spears at him or arrows. Just as another layer of protection. Because he was so massive, it had been an easy target for that. So he had this shield bear coming out front of him with a shield about the size of a man. Hiding behind it, sticking it in the ground, and kind of in front of between uh, Goliath and the enemy line. This guy was ready to go. And the, later on we see how he's a man and he's a warrior from his youth. So he's an opposing figure. He's just huge. The mere sight of this giant caused the entire Israel army to quake and run in fear. It's interesting to know that Israel's giant, Saul, was nowhere to be found, was he? He's back in the tent trying to figure out who he can get to help out in this situation. Anyone but him, you know? Saul knew he was no match for this guy. He absolutely knew there's no way. He's, he's, he, if he went out there, he knew that was not going to end well for him. And so he knew he wasn't brave enough to face this enemy, and he was no match for him, and he knew it. Saul had forgotten by this time where his true strength came from and that of Israel. If you remember, Saul by this time had already been rejected by God. The Bible says that God had rejected Saul as king because he wouldn't follow the Lord's heart. And he was raising up a man after his own heart who would do that. he had already anointed David by this time. And so that was obviously uh, a problem for Saul as well. A far bigger problem, really, than this guy named Goliath. In fact, his life had deteriorated to the point where he no longer trusted the Lord or sought after the Lord. First, In fact, uh, 1 Samuel 16, verse 14, it says this. Now the spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. Saul no longer had the leading and the protection and the guidance of the Holy Spirit in his life. So Saul was just out there with his best guesses and his own strength and his own wisdom and it didn't prove to be very useful in that situation at all. It was pitiful. Certainly not what the people needed. Here the Israelites were facing an enormous enemy and challenge and their leader was leading by running in fear. What a horrible example. The people of the Most High God and their leader was nowhere to be found. There's no doubt the enemy is huge. and Our enemy is just like that. He's no different in our lives. Sometimes we'll face obstacles and challenges that just seem overwhelming. And almost intimidating, It's scary. So we see like our Goliath or whatever. It can be pretty scary. But the enemy loves to try and scare us. Either thinking he's too powerful for us, which he is, by the way. Or that our situations or problems are too big for us to handle, which they are. But the thing that he that does not want us to get is that he is no match for our God he never wants us to really get that. If he can get us to not focus on that or really get that truth then he can do a lot of damage in our lives. If he can keep us fearful, he can keep us defeated. If he can keep us facing him in our own strength he he knows he's going to win every time. That's exactly what's happening with Saul. Saul was afraid and Saul was operating in his own strength. And it was pitiful. The second thing, of course the enemy's huge, he's loud. Look at verse 8, it says here Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. I mean, he is just being loud and belligerent. You know, uh, as, Goliath is doing a normal tactic that most, most people do in, in battle in that time, and really all throughout history. But as he's shouting, he's trying to scare the Israelites. He's trying to intimidate him, and it's working. Often a warrior would do that. it would come out and they'd get really loud. Either a group of warriors would get really loud and shout and cheer to try to encourage their side and also try to scare the other side. It was definitely worked. Israelites ran in fear. You know, Goliath was enormous, but he wasn't dumb. This was a smart warrior. When you see some stuff he's doing, he's not a dummy. He's not only relying on his size, he's using all these little other techniques to try to keep the enemy scared and intimidated because that gives him even another edge and an advantage over them. And so. And here's what I wrote down I thought, as I thought talking about our situation. The enemy's loud with us too. If he can keep us from hearing what God has to say in those moments where we're facing challenges or difficulties or trials or whatever, if we're not listening to him, we're simply distracted with other things, competing voices or things that compete for our time, man, we're, and all we hear is some giant yelling at us, intimidating us. That's all we see. That's all we hear. We'll start to believe that lie. We'll start to think, you know what? He's right. I'm a dead man. Well, are on our own. That would be true. But we don't ever face the enemy on our own for a believer in Jesus Christ. For he who's in us is greater than he that's in the world. And that's the easiest thing to lose sight of if we let the enemy do that. So the enemy's huge. He's loud. He's arrogant. Look at verse 9. It says, If he's able to fight me, fight and kill me, we'll become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Look at this tactic he's doing here. When it's back to when it's uh, uh, Goliath is using again this his self confidence is really not just self confidence arrogance that's what it's a form of here, and he's using this in order to try to intimidate the Israelites even more, showing his confidence. You, know, you guys have nothing that you can throw at me that can stand against me. I'm, I'm a Philistine, or the Israelites were supposed to be fighting, so send somebody here. What you waiting on? You know. He knew he's intimidating them. And here's the thing he was doing, too. Goliath was not dummy. He wanted to make sure whoever they sent out had this in the back of their mind. That guy's going to kill me if I go out there. I'll go out there, but, you know, i would be, you know, like he'd be shaking. Goliath exactly what he wanted. He wanted them to keep them fearful and terrified. The enemy does that, too. He always plays games with us like that. You know, if you play sports, you see that in sports. You see guys talk trash. They try to do stuff to intimidate other opponents. You see boxers. Every time boxers get together, they do that whole little look at it I'm like, really? I mean, does that work? I mean, come on. But they do all that stuff to try to intimidate the other opponent just to get an edge. You know, I saw a boxer that did work a long time ago. I don't approve of this guy at all. His name was Mike Tyson. Y'all heard of him? But when he came out, every other boxer on the planet was literally scared to death of this guy. I don't care if they were former heavyweight champions. Before he really got goofy. When he was young, I'd, I'd watch him fight, and he'd get up there, and these other guys who were professional boxers would be like, they'd be tentative, and he'd have them in about a round or two, he'd just clobber them. They were terrified of him. But then, once he lost, people weren't afraid of him anymore. And then he was just, he was beaten left and right, see That was a huge advantage he had. And Goliath knew that Goliath was not a dummy. He knew, gonna, not only I'm going to oppose and be intimidating, but I'm going to make sure they are scared to death. So when they do send a guy, this guy in the back of his mind is going to have doubts. The enemy does that with us. He knows and we know if we face him in our own strength, man, that is, that's thats a scary place to be and that's not going to end well. He wants us to be fearful. He wants us to be doubting. He wants to be intimidated by him. If he can do that, he can uh, he can do a lot of damage. But I love this. This intimidation, when David, we'll see later on, when, this, when David comes up there, this falls this fall short. This is like hollow to David. David's like, who is this knucklehead? What's this guy running his mouth for? Everybody around him was scared to death. And David's like, what's this guy running? What's he saying? He's like upset. You know why? When David heard that, it didn't scare him. When he saw him, because he saw him and he heard him. You know why David wasn't scared? I wrote this down. Because of his close, intimate relationship with the Lord. David, by this time in his life already, was characterized as having the Holy Spirit. The Bible says the Holy Spirit came on David in power. When he was anointed by Samuel. David was walking with the Lord like very few people on the planet at this point. Maybe with the exception of Samuel. Other than that, there's probably no one else on the planet who had the Holy Spirit to the extent that David did at this point in his life. And David was not trusting in David because David knew how short he was. David knew how young he was. He saw how big Goliath was. He knew he was no match for Goliath. But he knew Goliath was no match for his God. And that's what he's basing his trust in So he didn't listen to that life and the enemy. So the enemy is—I um, lose my order here. The enemy is huge. He's loud. He's arrogant. hes in the next last one we get to—he's defiant. Now there's many more of these. I just—I just listed four. But he's defiant. Look at this. What it says in uh, verse 10 and 11. He says, "Then the Philistines said, This day I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other.'" On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Goliath knew that intimidation was a big weapon, and he knew how to use it quite effectively. When he defies Israel, he's basically defying the God of Israel. That's what that meant. I'm not only to defy you, but I defy the God that you serve. I love it when David walks up. Do you notice that little verse at the end of verse 24? When he's, you know, he's, he says he's come out shouting his usual defiance, and then it says, in at the end of verse 24, it's like a comma there. it says, and David heard it. David was like, uh-uh. You ain't talking about my God like that. No way. Who are you? But this enemy was defiant. He wanted to scare the Israelites into thinking that nothing or no one could deliver them out of, or even their God could deliver them. Unfortunately, due to the poor spiritual state of the nation and its leader, King Saul at this time, this tactic worked. But not with everyone. As far as we could tell, David was the only one out of this entire army who wasn't scared. But their spiritual condition of their leader, King Saul, by the way, who was the people's king, had deteriorated to such a point, and he led his people to such a low level of living. The people of the Most High God were afraid of one giant. It's pitiful. If we're not careful, we can allow our own lives to deteriorate to such a low level of thinking that we too can believe the enemy's lies, and that God either cannot or will not deliver us. Think about this. This is an affront to our holy God and demeans his character when we think wrongly about him. Remember what David said? I love this. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Who does this God think he is? He's just a man. I love that. What a a great attitude. Even in this moment, as he walks up as a young boy, God's starting to use David to to show the, the contrast between a man after God's heart and a man after his own heart, with Saul. And after this, after this interchange here, this this battle, David obviously begins through the Lord's leading. Begins to be elevated in the eyes of the people. Look at first Samuel 17. we we'll are go down to verse 26. We're going to look at some of the characteristics of God's champion in in uh, young David here. Let's pick up in verse 26. It says, David asked the men standing near him, "What will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine?" that he should defy the armies of the living God. They repeated to him what had been said and told him, This is what will be done for him who kills him. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, Why have you come down here, and with whom did you lead those few sheep in the desert? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Now what have I done, said David? Can I even speak? Then he turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter, and the men answered him as before. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul, and Saul sent for him. David said to Saul, Let let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, You are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a boy, and he has been a fighting man from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair and struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. I love that. Saul said to David, Go and the Lord be with you. By the way, that's just a perfunctory. Well, God bless you. (laughs) Good luck there. Saul, Saul Saul was clueless, obviously, at this point. Then Saul dressed David, and you can tell by his next actions here. Saul dressed David in his own tunic, he put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with a sling in his hand approached the Philistine. As you look at this in a matter of contrast that David's uh, God's champion and young David here, I just wrote down four things that kind of jumped out at me. And there's more than this, this is not exhausted by any measure, any stretch of the imagination, but these are four things I just want to kind of hit on here. He's concerned for God's people. He's concerned for God's praise. He's courageous in God's plan. He's confident in God's protection. And this first one is concerned for God's people. In verses twenty-five and twenty-six, listen to this. It says, Now the Israelites have been saying, Do you see how this man keeps coming out? And that's the NIV. I think the New American Standard and the King James, the New King James all say he keeps coming up. And that's significant, by the way. We'll come to that in a second. He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him, and will give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his family, uh father from taxes in Israel. David asked the man standing near him. Listen to how David asked the question here. (laughs) What will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes the disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? David's concerned for God's people. You have to remember, this is day one for David. They've been going through this for 40 days. This guy has been coming up every day and saying the same thing for 40 days. But something's been happening all along this time. You know, where they were situated, is called the Valley of Elah. And the Israelites were on one side, the Philistines were on the other side, and there's about a mile between them. And there's like on two hills or two mountains, if you know, not really mountains, but two, two valleys, or two hills with a valley in between. And you're probably about a half a mile up to one side where the Israelites were, half a mile on the other side with a valley in between. So about a mile separated, these two armies. For 40 days, the Bible says, he kept coming out. Look what it said back in verse 25 here. 17, chapter 17. Now the Israelites have been saying, "Do you see how this man keeps coming up? He started off over here, got into the valley, and shouted up his defiance. But after forty days, he start he's starting to go up the up the ridge now, taking more ground. That's what the enemy will do. You let him hang around long enough, you don't deal with that, he's gonna take more and more ground and more and more territory. And David, on day one, is realizing this. He's like, Come on!" What are we letting go on here, people? In day one, David realized the severity of the situation. Because God was with him. And so, the enemy's obviously taking ground. And if he's not loud if, if you let the enemy hang around and you don't deal with him, and we don't deal with the things in our lives that, that that are involved with that, man, it's going to do a lot of damage. Before you know you're going to wake up, you're going to be totally defeated. And you're going to be like Saul. hiding back there, hoping somebody's going to come help you. You know, um, I wrote this down as I was thinking of this kind of interchange when David shows up here and he's and thinking about the logistics of what's going on here. You know, this guy's been out there for 40 days. Over 40 days. He's defying Israel. He's defying the God of Israel. He's trying to scare them. He's threatening them. He's doing all this stuff that the enemy does. And that was a focus. No, not one word from the Lord. Saul doesn't inquire from the Lord one time that we hear in this entire process. Not one time offers no prayer that we know of. Nothing. And I wrote this down, and David on day one walks up and he's offended that God's people are in the state that they're in. He's like, how can we leave God? What are we doing? This guy's coming after the people of God. And he's he's saying the things about our God like that? And I wrote this down. As Christians, we too should be concerned for the welfare of other believers around us. When we see the enemy taking ground, causing damage to other believers, we too should respond with a sense of urgency and concern for those affected by the enemy's attacks. Our response in those times must be spirit-led and spirit-filled, just as David's response was here. For the battle is the Lord's, and the weapons we fight with are also the Lord's. We see that, of course, in Ephesians 6 with the armor of God. And by the way, sometimes that's received really well when you, in those moments, those times, and sometimes it's not. You know, David, obviously, right away, his brother's like, come on. You know, I think it's more jealousy than anything. But as a believer, we should have a concern for God's people. When we see God's people in situations we know they're not where they need to be, we need to love them enough. And as the Holy Spirit leads us and gives us opportunity, we need to go to them in love and try to rescue them. And that's why David had a shepherd's heart. That's one of the reasons, one of the many reasons he's called a man after God's own heart. The next one, he's concerned for God's praise. Verse 26 again. It says, so David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? You know, David's courage, uh, or excuse me, David, throughout his life we see him characterized by his love for God and his praise and adoration of the Lord. Remember, David was a true worshiper here. Uh, and even gave us most of the worship songs that we have in the book of Psalms. Most of those were written by David. And so, um, you know, remember when David came into Jerusalem? Remember that picture when he's coming, bringing the ark into Jerusalem. And he's dancing before the Lord with all of his might. So Tell us, look at that. 2 Samuel 6. We we'll read this. There's like three or four verses we want to read here. Look at this picture of, of a guy who's the Bible, the Lord calls a man after my own heart. Listen to how he's leading out in worship here. This picture we see in verse 12 through verse 16 in chapter 6. And we'll get down to verse 20 through 22. This is when David's bringing the ark of the Lord into the city of Jerusalem, the second time, correctly this time. Um, Verse 12, now King David was told, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything he has because of the Ark of God. So David went down and brought up the Ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. When those who were carrying the Ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. David, wearing a linen ephod, danced before the Lord with all of his might, while he and the entire house of Israel brought up the Ark of God with shouts and the sound of trumpets. As the Ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michal, uh, daughter of Saul, watched from the window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. Go down to verse 20. When David returned home to bless his household, Michal, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, How the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, disrobing in the sight of the slave girls of his servants, as any vulgar fellow would do. David said to Michal, it was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father and anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this. And I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honor. You're talking about a guy who understood what worship was about? And I was sitting there, I was thinking about that. The king that the people were relying on is Saul. Was like this warrior king. They didn't need a warrior. They needed a worshiper. They didn't need somebody to lead them in battle. They needed somebody who could lead them in worship of the one true God, who to fight their battles for them. And David ended up becoming a great warrior on top of all that, but he was first and foremost a worshiper of God. And because he was a worshiper of God, every other area of his life was blessed beyond measure. Whether he was the greatest warrior, he was the greatest king. Every king after him was measured by him. Every king in Israel was always measured by King David, either good or bad in comparison to him, and rightfully so. As I was looking at this, I asked this question to myself. I just want to ask it you too. Can you or I say that we truly worship the Lord with that kind of abandonment to our own self or self-image or our own desires or plans? Are we still trying to keep our dignity and hold on to our own desires and plans? David laid down his whole, all of his dignity as he sang praises to God. He was so consumed with worshiping the Lord, he did not care what was proper for a king to do or to wear or even act like in public because he wasn't trying to please the crowd. He was too busy praising the king, the true king. What a great picture that was. The last one here on David, he's courageous in God's plan. You know, his courage doesn't come from his expertise in anything because he's just a boy. And his confidence wasn't from himself, it was in God's provision for him, and God's protection for him. And, uh, you know, uh, this is something we all can learn from. I know I can. And, by the way, when, when David comes up in verse 32 and he says this to Saul, he says, David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of the Philistine. Your servant will go and find him. Remember, David was filled with the Holy Spirit. So David, obviously, was told by the Lord, I want you to go and, and take care of that giant for these people. You go out there and defeat him. So he'd already been given a word from the Lord. But the reason, you know, I can say that is two reasons. One, the Bible says he was filled with the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit came on him in power. Second, he beat the he beat the giant. <laughs> if it wasn't for the Lord, he wouldn't have done that. And David would never. David wasn't uh, that type of individual anyway. He wouldn't have run out there just to fight a giant to show off. That wasn't David's character. David's heart. That's all the scriptures show us about David. And the way he speaks this way, you see later on when he speaks to Saul, he's talking about the God who delivered me from the paw of the lion, the paw of the bear. He's going to deliver me from this guy. God already gave him that word. And so he was courageous and, and he was bold. Say, I'm going to go out and take care of this for us as the Lord gives me the ability to do So he's courageous in God's plan. The last one here is he's confident in God's protection. Look at 33 through 37. Um, Saul said you're not able to go out and fight this Philistine. You're only a boy and he's been a fighting man from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off the sheep from the flock, I went after it and struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair and struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. You know, David recounts God's faithfulness in this situation. He's like reminding Saul of the things that God has shown in his life. See, Saul didn't have a whole lot to draw from because Saul didn't have a habit of following the Lord like he should. In that brief period of time when he had the Holy Spirit, Saul wasn't a man who followed the Lord like he should. that's why he's rejected by God. But David was recounting his confidence in God's faithfulness and protection in the past. And he tells this uh, to Saul. And he he says, I'm sure of God's protection in the present as well. God's been faithful back here. He's going to be faithful today. Because that's God's character and that's God's nature. Especially for his name and for his people. And so, I love how in David too, David did not say, let me tell you about the lion and bear that I killed. He doesn't do that. He mentions that because he has to but but it's very clear to mention it was the Lord who delivered him from both of those. Because David fully understands he's alive only because of the Lord's deliverance. And in this picture, we see the Lord already allowing young David to really begin the process of shepherding his people in the right way. Here's the beginning process of David becoming the shepherd of God's people. Showing what a true shepherd looks like, what a true shepherd acts like, thinks like, talks like, and how he believes in the Lord and the trust that he has. Because his people did not have that and Saul. And David starts teaching the trust of the Lord to know that victory rests with the Lord. It does not matter how big the enemy is. David's not looking at Goliath. He's looking at God. In comparison to the Lord Almighty, Goliath is a joke, and David knows it. You see, Saul's too busy looking at the obstacle and the challenge. He doesn't even glance at God. Doesn't even refer to him. Doesn't act, doesn't seek him. You know, I thought it was interesting. This is for a different point, but you know who's, who's noticeably absent in this entire episode? Samuel. There's an, I think there's another reason for that, but one of the, there's several reasons, but I think it's another reason because God is raising up David at this point. He's beginning the process of moving, of putting his knowing on David, and David being the leader of his people. But Saul doesn't even ask Samuel. You don't see any, where he goes for a council to ask Samuel, nothing. Of all the people, if I'm Saul, and I know there's this guy here, a giant's going to kill me. I'm thinking I'm dialing up Samuel right away. Samuel might have been in his 80s or 90s, but he still would have been a huge, huge, it would have been an easy thing uh, to do. I mean, I would, I would put my money on Samuel every day of the week against Goliath. <laughs> the Lord chose to deliver him, he, didn't have to, he wouldn't have to do that, but Samuel would be the person I would go to first. But you don't ever see that with Saul. Because Saul's heart's not like wasn't, wasn't, wasn't set up that way. It wasn't a heart after God. He was after his own self, his own glory. So David is, uh, David's, the Lord has the process in David. And uh, the difference between David and Saul first is the Holy Spirit. David is empowered by the Holy Spirit where Saul is not. The secondly, and is also is important, is that David, with experiences with the Lord's provision, his experiences with the Lord's protection, and his time with the Lord all alone, created a deep and profound trust in the Lord and a desire to see the Lord glorified and praised in every situation and circumstance in his life. For David, it was about God's glory, whereas for Saul, it was really about his own glory and his fragile ego being puffed up. Saul was such a fragile guy. He was an emotional wreck. He was, he was just paranoid. He was just, he was just, he was just all consumed with jealousy. Eventually, later on, with David, he cannot stand the fact that someone would have more praise than him or be thought of better than him, and uh, he's just because it was all about him. Like we said before, Saul didn't have the character to match the Simon as king. But David did. You know, all those years in the wilderness, faithfully taking care of the sheep, God was molding David and preparing him, not just to be king, but to be a worshiper and a worship leader. For that's the key to those whom God is looking for to lead his people. He's looking for men and women who are first worshipers. Worshipers in spirit and in truth. That's what our Lord said in John 4, 23. That's what God's looking for. That's what he found in David. You know, as we step back and kind of uh, Kind of contrast these two guys, David and Saul. There's some things that kind of stand out clear amongst these guys. And and we're going to wrap up with this. I'm just going to mention, we're not going to elaborate on anything. I'm just going to mention real quick here. Saul was fearful of the giant. David was willing to fight the giant. Saul tries to buy Israel's champion. David was willing to be Israel's champion. Saul lacked God's favor. David lived in God's favor. Now that, let me stop there for a second. Saul probably thought he had God's favor because he was king. He had an army, lots of money. On the outside, looks like things are pretty good with Saul. He's handsome, people think well of him. People really thought well of him. Now in the, looking back to the lenses of scripture and you know, hindsight, they always say hindsight's 2020 vision, and looking back, we could tell Saul was in the Lord's eyes, because the Lord says this, Saul was a complete and utter failure. Because the Bible says he rejected him. But in his lifetime, Israel thought he was a great king. The people thought Saul was an awesome king. But the Lord saw differently because he didn't have God's favor. David was just a young boy at this time. He didn't have really anything to hang his hat on, other than the fact that he was just trusting God. And sometimes we think favor is something that it's not. So we need to be careful of that. David lived with God's favor. And by the way, if you want to talk about favor, we'll get to that in a second. Let's do the last one. The enemy used Saul to discourage God's people. This is what's really sad in this whole encounter. Because his lack of trust in God, he was used to discourage the people of God. Whereas David was used to deliver the people of God. Saul was an abysmal failure. In this, in this moment, you can almost kind of do a summation of his reign. Saul at every point at every turn at every decision in this this brief encounter here was leading his people away from the heart of God away from trusting God away from walking in faith whereas David was used to deliver his people when they saw a little guy go out there and knock this giant down and kill him they knew God was with him because there's no way that shepherd boy could have done that and David told him ahead of time that was what was going to happen he even told Goliath before it happened David was a faithful steward of that time as well. Because David was, even in that moment, David was incredibly, it was a big deal of David. He didn't make sure. That he didn't get no credit for this. Here's what God's getting ready to do, guys. Let me tell you. <laughs> when he got to Goliath, he told him the same thing. God's going to deliver you to me this day. I'm going to tell you why. Saul didn't have ears to hear. But you know what? When the people saw that, don't you think the people had to sit there back and think, you know what? Our king's back there and he doesn't look like that guy. He doesn't talk like that guy. God doesn't move through him like he does through that guy. Don't you think they had to do some soul searching? and find out, man, there's, what's the difference here? Because there is a difference. It was the Lord. So, you know, Saul might have fit the bill as a warrior king. And that's what the people wanted. But David was a worshipping king, and that's what the people needed. He led the people to trust the Lord to fight their battles. And because David was a man for God's own heart, his people became a people who learned to fear and reverence God and God's word. He was a leader of nations and kingdoms. He was a great warrior. He was a great songwriter. He was a great administrator. He was a great king. But above all that, he was a man who was a true worshiper and one that worshipped in spirit and in truth. As we close, I want to ask you this. Where do do we find ourselves today in in this situation, in this kind of a spectrum, if you will? Are we kind of closer to Saul or are we kind of closer to David in the way we live our lives? Do we encourage God's people to trust him or do we discourage them through our witness and our testimony. Does my lack of faith or my amount of faith encourage or discourage you? The way I handle a problem or situation or difficulty or challenge in my life? Do I walk through that looking more like Saul? Or do I walk through that looking more like David? A man who trusts God. Even no matter what the circumstances say, we're going to trust Him. This is the one I want to talk about. And we'll end with this. Are our lives marked with the favor of God or do we lack the favor of God? Let me explain what the favor of God looks like a little bit here. This is in no way a complete uh, uh, exhaustive uh, rendering of this. But li- listen to this. And this is, simple, this is simplistic, but it's the scriptures. What I see in, from the scriptures in the life of David, a man who had the favor of God, and I look at that as far as a believer's life today, like people through the New Testament, like Paul and others, Basically, I think the question is, do I bear fruit? Is there genuine fruit in my life? That's a good indication that I have the favor of God. Not my circumstance, not my wallet, not the house I live in, not the car I drive, not my bank account, not my retirement account. None of that. That's, that's meaningless. That means that has no me- if you measure your walk with God by those things, you're blind and you're deaf. There's no way to put it. Here is what's measured: fruit. Of course, Galatians tells us what those fruit are: love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. If you confuse material blessings with God's favor over any of these, you're in a really bad place in your walk yeah. with the Lord. You're like Saul. You're totally out of touch with what God's up to and what He's doing. What He's doing and saying, because you're not you're not in relationship with Him. You're not in fellowship with Him. You may not even be in a relationship with them, but that's kind of your mindset. Fruit. God's favor is marked by fruit. A lack of fruit is an indication that things aren't well in your life and in your walk with the Lord or your relationship with the Lord. I've got people that I know who swept down their believers and followers of Jesus Christ, but I've never seen fruit in their life. And when you talk with them about the Lord Jesus, they either don't want to talk about Him, or when they say things, you are just like, that doesn't up with Scripture. Where'd you read that at? You know? And for some reason, they just, I don't know. There's no fruit. And some of them I know who are believers, who I believe love the Lord, but they're in a season of life where there's just not a lot of fruit. But we should be like David. We walk up, and they may have been in that for 40 days, so to speak, or 40 years. And it may be our first day in that situation being around them. We need to be bold like them and say, What's going on here? Listen, this isn't right. We need to lovingly, with the Spirit, as we're led by the Spirit and filled by the Spirit, lovingly come alongside them, and encourage them. Hey, listen, this is not what God intends for you. This is not God's best. There's probably people in your family, my family, in our neighborhoods, our loved ones that we know like that, that we know who are in a ditch somewhere. We need to go rescue them. Or we going to be bold like David. They may not receive it. You may be younger than them. You may be whatever different than them that you may feel like will keep you from being effective or God using you. Don't believe that lie. Because that's not the Lord. If the Lord brings you along someone who's hurting or a group of people who are in a situation where they don't need to be, in, or the enemy's got their lunch, he's just he just defeated them or they're in a place where they don't need to be. And God lets you come alongside that. Could it be he has you to come along like he did David in this situation and say, hold on, guys. What's going on over here? Why are y'all still here? Why is it still going on? I just want to encourage you this week, as you for like a better homework assignment this week, begin with yourself and ask the Lord, Lord, how's my heart with you right now? Where do I line up? Am I closer to Saul? Or am I closer to David? Or we're somewhere in between. But where do I stand with you? Do I trust you like I should? Is my heart really after you? And I also do this. Ask the Lord to reveal to you those situations, in your life, those relationships in your lives or maybe it's people you know that man, you know, you've know, you just made, made, made aware recently of maybe things in our life that you know don't line up with the word of God and they're believers. And you know, maybe God's called you to come alongside them and, and speak a word of truth in that situation, in love. I've had to do that a, a bunch of times, especially as I know we've talked about this before and many of you have too. And there's been times where that's gone really well. There's times where that's gone really... Not so well. There's times I've gone in knowing I'm probably getting ready to lose a friendship. That's happened two or three times. There's one individual today who will not speak to me. Because I had to go lovingly, but in love, I had to confront them in a sin in their life. And it cost me a friendship. Well, as far as their time, I'm still praying for them. And I'm not angry with them. But I know that that friendship's not what it used to be, it's not there. But you know what? I much rather that be the case than not than miss opportunity to speak the word of truth in their life. Because I love them enough to be willing to lose a friendship to gain a brother back. I'll do that any day of the week. I won't want that. I don't wish that. But you know what? Regardless of how it's received, regardless of how you think it's going to be received, when God puts you in those moments, ask yourself, Lord, what is it you're saying this time? What is my place in this position you have? Am I to speak a word of truth? Am I just to pray? How am I supposed to come alongside this brother or sister and encourage them and be an uh, encouragement to them in this time? Not leave them in the same place where I found them. I bet the Israelites were so thankful today. day I just go back home to the sheep and say, Well, you know what, Dad? Things are looking pretty bad over there. I don't know what they're doing. The go, somebody used to go out there and take the guy down. I'd have done it, but they won't listen to me. He didn't do that. He did exactly what God told him to do, and God did what only he could do. And it's overcome an obstacle that nobody else could have ever overcome on their own. You may have something in your life right now, personally, that you feel like I can't get past this sin, I can't get past this challenge, this difficulty, this fear, whatever it is. Well, that's not from the Lord. And I would encourage you to go to the Scriptures this week and ask the Lord to show you from the Scriptures what He has for you in this moment in your life and how He would have you to walk through that. And the encouragement he asked for. You know, if you get a chance, go look at Psalm 23. I know we see that psalm in, in funerals all the time. And that's, it's appropriate. There's nothing wrong with that. But that wasn't written for death. David wrote that towards the end of his life. He was reflecting back on his life and how God led him by outside quiet waters. Isn't that cool? Most people think it was probably written around time, Absalom and his conspiracy. But don't you think, when you read Psalm 23, think about this passage here. I, I guarantee you, you cannot help but see that there's probably some of that David was reflecting on as he's writing Psalm 23. Not just this encounter, but all the other encounters of his life. He's reflecting on God's faithfulness and God's provision, how God led him all along the way. Isn't that cool? Let's pray.